0: Open your Bible to James chapter 1. By the way, if you have anybody that you'd like to invite to the anniversary Sunday, uh, I have a few invitation cards. should be on that table over there in the corner on your way out. Grab one. We'll have more as we go along. We just started to print these. So grab one. Invite somebody. It'll be a great day. We'll be down. uh, We'll have church here. Then we'll go down to the activity center and have a lot of fun and dinner and fellowship in the afternoon. James chapter 1. I want to talk about the enemies of the Christian and how to respond. And really, this is, this is going to help you understand why living the Christian life is hard. There's probably a hundred reasons why we could list the Christian life being hard, but your enemy makes it hard. All right, Just, just chalk it up. Uh, the devil does not want you to live the Christian life. He wants you to live as you used to live and to stay that way. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren... Speaking to Christians, my brethren, count it all what? That's a good word. Add it all up and still count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? So when our faith is on trial, it's actually making us patient. Verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, I'm going to say here from the start that no one lives free from opposition and trials. We imagine wrongly that when we decide to do right, the devil backs off. He doesn't. As a matter of fact, the moment that you decide that you're going to do right, that you're going to say you're sorry, that you're going to uh, get back to reading your Bible every day, that you're going to grab a gospel track and going to give something. As soon as you decide to do right, he turns up the heat, he becomes aggressive, and he starts to work his hardest against you. The other another thing that we imagine wrongly is that when we decide to do right, God's going to supernaturally protect us. And often God doesn't. God allows you to find yourself in the middle of a coliseum, being stoned. Don't get the idea that just because you're doing right, that everything's going to work out wonderfully. No, God does not have a wonderful plan for your life. God has a perfect plan for your life. And sometimes that means trouble. The third thing that we get wrong is that when we do the will of God, it just gets easier and easier as you go along. It does not. I'm saved 37 years, and it is hard as ever to do right. As a matter of fact, it was easier when I was young. Amen. Now it costs me more (laughs) to do right. So why do we expect opposition when we try to kick a ball into a net? Hmm? You just go out there onto the field, the kids are playing, and so you go and join them and say, I want to play. And so when you get ready to kick that ball, there's 850 guys coming at you. (laughs) Why do we expect opposition when we try to kick a ball in a net? Why are we not upset when a bunch of opposing team members attempt to steal the ball when we're running with it on the end of a hurling stick? Why do we expect that? And yet, we don't expect persecution. uh, Sorry, 2 Timothy 3.12 promises, Yea, all they that will live godly shall, what? Suffer persecution. So, here's a great truth. Enemies and opposition are part of the perfect will of God. And I'll repeat this again later because it is probably one of the four or five things I definitely want you to get from this message. Enemies and opposition are part of the perfect will of God for every believer. None of us are changed for the better without trials. And no amount of effort can stop enemies from attacking. You say, why doesn't the devil leave me alone? I can't answer that, neither can you. All I know is this. No amount of your effort stops the devil from attacking. Here's the great truth. Your enemy will keep working on you until God says enough. And that's tough. I want the devil to leave. I want the devil to stop. I want the devil to be defeated. Well, one day he will be. But until that day, if he's working on you, you can't tell him to leave, you can't stop him, because the moment that he does go quiet, he's planning on coming again from another direction. So, instead of being deceived by the world about opposition, that, oh, the Christian life is so wonderful, spoken by people with diamond rings on all fingers. Don't believe that. We are building our homes and our lives in the midst of an enemy. Go to Nehemiah, where we're going to spend our time this morning. Nehemiah. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the Christian life is a battle. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Ezra, written... uh, About the rebuilding of the temple, Nehemiah written about the rebuilding of the city walls. Nehemiah chapter 4 in verse 7. This is the sobering part of the book of Nehemiah. In chapter 1, you find Nehemiah hearing just how bad things were in Jerusalem. And you find him praying for God to make a way for him to go and and do something about it. To rebuild the city, to to reestablish protection that those walls would provide. In chapter 2, Nehemiah gets a chance to appeal to the king. And it was a very risky request, and it was very uh, dangerous. And he appeals to Artaxerxes for a leave of absence so he could go. And Artaxerxes decides to just give him everything he needs to start the task of rebuilding a, a wall that was three kilometers long, 21 feet thick, and 15 feet high. It was a massive Chapter 3, we look there and it describes each of the sections of the walls and their gates being built simultaneously by 42 different groups of people. Families and workers all working together like a church does. Now we come to chapter 4 and it opens with one word, opposition. Serious, dangerous, deadly opposition. We read in our our verse here, and we'll look at it in a second, in in Ephesians chapter 6, it says... Uh, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Rulers, uh, wicked rulers and, 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 and leaders, these are all invisible enemies. Nehemiah fought against physical enemies, but there is a spiritual enemy at work there, like he's at work in our lives. So the enemies of of Nehemiah and and Israel were not going to just walk away from their rule. They were going to fight and stop or try to stop Nehemiah. So we find Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 7, but it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very what? Very wrong. And they conspired, all of them together, to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So, this is very sobering because we forget that our adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may tickle, devour. So, these builders are not in a safe place. Everybody wants to be in a safe place. Everybody wants to be free from, from, from oppression, from... Offense from pressure from stress. I don't know where you live, but that doesn't exist and uh, These these Jews were actually right in the middle of a land that was occupied by the Samaritans Now you'll understand why when Jesus went into Samaria It was so offensive to the Jews because those people were evil those people were wicked They were pagan up in Samaria and the Samaritans had tried to destroy and keep destroyed the people of God. Now, Jerusalem was part of a territory governed by the Samaritans. That had taken o- they had taken over the territory after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed everything. <clears throat> and these were ancient gang members. I call them that because that's how they operated, like gang leaders. You had Sanballat, who was the leader, Tobiah, who was his sidekick, the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, all of these just watched as these walls were being built up and they got angrier and angrier and angrier. They were going to act on it. And it's the same with any Bible believing Baptist church, by the way. It's by the grace of God that churches have freedoms today. The very fact that we get to meet in this place and we're free to do it and there's not a mob out there trying to take us off to prison or burn us out is very unusual. To be allowed to go from door to door into the highways and hedges and to rebuild lives. And to lead people to Christ and actually spend time and restore marriages and repair minds. In the rest of the world, Christians are tortured, persecuted, and hindered at every step. All over the rest of the world. I've got news for you. There are no Christian countries. There are just countries that are friendly to Christians. Most countries are not friendly to Christians. And even the countries that are friendly right now and tolerant of the Bible won't be for much longer. So be it. You know what we need to do? Keep building. Keep doing like these Jews did. Go back to verse 6. I want you to see, so built we the wall. They're surrounded by enemies. They're under threat. They're in danger. And they kept right on building. That's a good motto. Keep building. Your marriage is under attack. Your home is under attack. Your mind and your heart is under attack. Keep building. Do not let the devil have one inch of your resolve to keep building. When I play with my grandkids, the thing that I do, and one thing I've learned from my children is, you build a, a, a little tower or you build a, 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 like a house or whatever, and they knock it down. You know what grandpa does? He builds it again. And then they knock it down. Now they think it's great. But after about 57 times, all of a sudden you see them over on the other side and they start competing and they're building along with you. Keep building, amen? Keep building. Father, we come before you. Ask you to speak to us and and encourage us to keep building. Keep doing right. Keep taking this book and living by it. Not because we understand it all. Not because we, we know how it all works together. All we know is it does work together. Lord, I pray that you give us just the, the tenacity, the stubbornness to stay the course. Because the devil would like to hinder, the devil would like to slow us down, hinder, get us to quit. So give us a resolve, help us to learn how to respond to demonic attack today, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is a reality, This, these, I love these guys, that's Sanballat and, and Tobiah. It was dug up in an old ancient, no, not really. Somebody did a cartoon of <clears> them. <throat> but um, uh, the reality of spiritual warfare, holding your place, will you hear, uh, hold your place here, go to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to see two verses. We, we know one of them because it's our memory verse this month. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Put on the, I am not verse 11, sorry, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So next time you're in an argument, realize not only are you dealing with flesh and blood, but your battle is not with them, but against a principal power, a power that's over them at that moment, that is behind them, and they don't even know it, but against principalities, against powers. And when we say power, we're talking like electric power that will fry you. We're not dealing with a little bitty, tiny yeah, how many of you have ever taken a little nine-volt battery? How many of you know what a nine-volt battery is, even? If you take a nine-volt battery as a kid, we'd have fun. <laughs> that is not the power we're wrestling against. We're talking about a power that will fry. We wrestle against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13: "Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Get ready for battle that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having all to stand, to stay standing. I want you to know that the book of Nehemiah mimics the things in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom, just as real as a chair you're sitting in. And I really, I came up with just a brief thing to kind of give you a key here. Sanballat and Tobiah, they're not the devil. They are under the authority of the devil. They are like demons and devils in the life attacking a Christian. Nehemiah is like the Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has one calling, and that is to get God's people to start rebuilding what sin has destroyed. You see, the freedom that they were experiencing had already been purchased. These were God's people who were living in ruin. And Jeremiah came, uh, Nehemiah came in and says, Don't live this way. He's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews... They're just like all believers. By the way, they're feeble. They've been in defeat all their lives, and it took a Nehemiah to motivate them. You know, I, I, <clears throat> if it weren't for Jesus Christ, I would do nothing. He's, he's the reason why I do anything. Amen. And the only reason why the Jews were doing anything is because Nehemiah is up there at work leading them, encouraging them, exhorting them, and, and challenging them to stay the course. Now, all the walls and the gates are what were broken down in their lives. They all needed to be repaired. Those walls and gates were going to make it so that they were stronger and more able to resist the demonic attacks of Sanballat and Tobiah. The threat going on in Nehemiah's day is just as real as the threat in our day. The battle is real. You may wake up in the morning and you just just want to burn the pillow. Just want to fry the toast. Want to just poison your husband. I don't know. Whatever you feel like, and you have no idea that there's a spiritual battle going on right over your head all night long. You didn't even know it. The battle's real. The enemy <clears throat> does not go away. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I the, the first two weeks of my salvation, I was living on cloud nine. I thought I could do no more sin. <laughs> I was wrong. <clears throat> I thought the devil was going to leave me alone. I just nobody had nobody told me all that, but I just imagined. I'm, I'm in victory, and I was, but I thought I would never face another battle again. Boy, was I wrong. Folks, the enemy does never go away. He goes quiet for a little while. And when the devil's quiet, what's he doing? He's stalking. He's not defeated, folks. If he can find a weak spot in your armor, he'll get it. And if he doesn't do it today, he'll work on it tomorrow, till the day you die. And that's that's revolutionary for some people because they don't understand, why am I having so many problems? Because you have an enemy. So we are wrestling not to defeat the devil. I wish I could could defeat him. I'm not that powerful neither are you. I am, like we just read there, I put on the whole armor of God so that when he comes, I stay standing. Amen? I do not go out, I'm going to defeat the devil today. Can you imagine how stupid that statement is? You know what your goal is? Stay standing, stay building, stay forward. We wrestling, we wrestle these things to keep them at bay so we can rebuild. So here's the important um, uh, truth for us to understand. Um, The devil wants to destroy you. Bible says that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his only go for your life. If you, if you have any good going on in your life and you're not saved or you're carnal, let me tell you, it's a trap. Amen. So um, I want, I want the, the blessings of God, yes, but I want the will of God more. Because the will of God may put me right in the battle zone and I just want to stay standing. Does that make sense to anybody? All right. Anyway, <clears throat> the enemies of the Christian, how to respond. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to, uh, as, we, as we get here, I want to read the first 12 verses and then we're going to look at what our enemies have been doing and what they planned. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. But it came to pass, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Chapter 4, verse 3 now. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O oh our God. This is Nehemiah now. <clears throat> For we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Make them captives. <clears throat> Cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. As we read earlier, but as it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth, And they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. And we set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said this, Judah comes up and says, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them. The warning was, they were hearing these, these uh, whispers of, We're going to sneak in, they won't even know we're there, and then we're going to draw swords and start killing people. And they caused the work to cease. Verse 12, And it came to pass, that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, and they sent us, Ten times from all places, whence we shall return unto them, they will be upon you. So they're coming in and re- in rehearsing it over and over. We've heard from ten different groups that they're all planning an attack. That was the environment that they were building in. They were under attack. So the first thing I want to say in, 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 de- in, in um, understanding your enemy and how to respond is, number one, you need to expect opposition. <clears throat> when Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, he was a threat. He was a threat to Sanballat and all his associates. Look back in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Chapter 2, Nehemiah 2, 9 and 10. As soon as Nehemiah came in to Judah, then I came to the governors beyond the river and I gave them the king's letters, giving him authority to be there. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me when Sanballat, here's the first time you see him, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah his servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You know how to make the devil happy? Stay in bed. You know how to make the devil happy? Watch eight hours of Netflix. You know how to make the devil happy? Um, do something with the family when it's time for church instead. You know how to make the devil happy? You know, um, uh, do anything except what God told you to do today. Amen. You know how to make him mad? Do right. Get involved in in rebuilding something, in, in helping, in ministering, in serving. The moment that you do, it will grieve the devil. Hallelujah. So tired of him getting joy out of my stinking failure. I'd like to give him some grief. Expect opposition. Sanballat was a Samaritan ruler who was running the entire Jerusalem territory like a gang leader of Chicago. So you gotta get bring them into me. In pieces, you know. I mean, that's how Senballat ran Jerusalem. When that, when Nehemiah showed up, it made it just caused him to come unglued. He was furious, and uh, they got activated. You know, I found that to be true with, the, with Jesus. When he would come into a town and he'd meet somebody, I'll point at somebody here, <laughs> and he'd meet somebody who was demon-possessed. No, 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 put your hands down because I'm about to use you for the wrong thing. <laughs> and he met somebody who's demon-possessed. Those demons inside of that man would come unglued, didn't they? As soon as Jesus showed up. They'd go, get away, get away, amen. When Jesus showed up, it upset the devils, amen. And you know, when the devil, when, when Jesus is Lord of your life, it'll upset the devil. When he shows up in the will of God of your life and he takes over, it will not be very pleasant, but it'll be fun. Over and over and over, we don't have time. I got a lot I gotta say this morning. When Jesus would would come to a man, he would just he would tear himself, screaming, What have we to do with He? Don't torment us. (laughs) Just the presence of Jesus. You know, think about it. Wouldn't it be nice that Christians actually would put to flight some demonic activity? They used to say back during during the uh, uh, during the great revivals <clears throat> over in England about a hundred years ago, even in America about eighty or ninety years ago, an old preacher would come into town and they'd set up um, a, a simple what they called a brush arbor, which was an outdoor meeting place. They'd set up benches and. He'd start to preach against sin, preach righteousness and the coming judgment of God. And he'd preach and he'd preach, and people gather, people weeping, getting saved. And the, the, the saloons would start closing. You know what a saloon is, don't you? That's a pub. You know, I, ever since I've been here, you know what I've done? Anytime I pass by a pub, it is almost without fail. I'll pray, God, close that thing down, close that demon infested hellhole down. And I've been glad to announce that a lot of them have not. I'm not going to claim any credit for it. But I'm going to say this. It makes me glad to see a pub close. Amen. So next time you walk in and you see a pub close, I wonder if Pastor prayed against that thing. Amen. (laughs) You know, it ought to be so that when Christians set up a church that the pubs move out of town. Amen. Amen. We ought to have an effect. Now there are five truths about opposition I need you to understand. Number one, you experience troubles, obstacles in the will of God, or at least in the direction of the will of God. If you never get friction or opposition, if everyone, you th- if everyone thinks of you as, as the bee's knees, then I'm gonna tell you this you're not moving away from the world and into the will of God. If everybody likes you at work, if they haven't called, if they have not called you preacher yet, You haven't given them a gospel tract then. You haven't been a witness. You haven't made a stand. And that's dangerous. Five truths about opposition. Opposition reveals you're in the will of God, or at least you're attempting to do the will of God. Amen. Second truth. Opposition is evidence that God is blessing you. Now, I know you won't feel that. You'll think he's cursing you. But if Jesus says that, Woe unto you if all men speak well of you. No, they hated me. They're going to hate you too if you follow me, Jesus said. So listen, that is a blessing. When, when, when the devil is hating you, what does that mean? I must be doing something right. Amen. Third, opposition is going to come from, at you from every direction. It's going to come from, from the enemies that are out there, but they'll even come from your own house. Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor. Oh, a prophet has great honor except in his own home. How can that be? Because your home, your your family knows you're just flesh. And they watch and they see all of your faults and they see all the mistakes and they see all the hypocrisies. Let me just tell you this, you're going to get opposition from the outside, you're going to get opposition from your family, and you'll get opposition from inside, fears, old habits, bad memories, sleepless nights, opposition from every direction. A truth about spiritual opposition is it'll come from everywhere. Don't sit there and be shocked. Well, my wife got angry at me today. (laughs) Yeah? Well, my husband's not happy with me. Boy, my kids don't want to do this. That's where opposition comes from. Will you still keep doing it? Will you decide to keep building, keep going, keep serving, keep loving, keep worshiping? Opposition will come at you from every direction. say, well, pastor, what if you ever got mad at me? Praise God. Amen. Just do right. Fourth, it is vital to the Christian life to endure and to experience opposition. Go to 2 Corinthians. Hold in your place here in Nehemiah. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This is written by the greatest Christian who has ever lived... The Apostle Paul and he says this Second Corinthians chapter four verse seven. We have a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. An earthen vessel is a clay pot, which is our bodies. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The glory is not in the pot. It's not in the clay. It's in what's in it. Verse eight says we are troubled. On every side, yet not distressed, we're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but God has not forsaken us. Cast down, but we are not destroyed, always bearing about in the body, in our flesh, the dying of the Lord Jesus. What do you look like? You look like you're dying. Yeah, that's what a Christian sometimes looks like when he's going through all week trying to do right. The dying of the Lord Jesus So that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. We risk our lives for Jesus' sake. Sometimes we risk our families for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest, might be revealed, might show in our mortal flesh. So that, so that, anyway, I'll just stop there. Just, it is vital in the Christian life to put up with opposition. And to experience it. Opposition are all and in, 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 in troubles and conflicts and resistance and obstacles. And even your enemies are all part of the perfect will of God for the believer. As I'll say this, no one is changed for the better without trials. And no amount of effort can stop your enemy from attacking. The truth is your enemies, your oppositions, your troubles are going to stay with you till God says it's enough. You can pray say, Lord, please take this trouble away from me. That's a good prayer. That's what Paul prayed, didn't he? Lord, take this thorn from me. Stop this pain. I don't like this. It's like like a dagger. It's like something that's just ungodly. Take this thing away from me. And the Lord said, no. So when it doesn't go away, when you don't get what you consider victory, and yet Jesus said, my grace will always be with you. You say, well, then I'm just going to glory in my infirmity because it is part of the will of God. Now, <clears throat> it's very important that you know what the enemy wants. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4 in verse 2. Nehemiah chapter 4. Five things that... The devil wants. Chapter 4 and verse 2, And he spake before his brethren, this is Sanballat. He spake before his brethren the army, and the army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? But Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. You know what the end? You know, you know what Sinbadet and Tobiah wanted to do with the Jews? Wanted to keep them weak and dependent upon them for everything. <clears throat> um, it's always been the same. But we were so dependent upon our friends, we 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 needed our friends' approval. We got our hair cut based on what our friends thought was cool. Remember that? You change friends and your haircut changed. <clears throat> your clothes changed. By the way, your clothes usually are a reflection of how you think people think of you instead of what God thinks. Amen, amen, and amen. Think on that for a week. You, The way you dress is how you think people think of you. Don't do that. Find out what is right, what is modest, what is good, and live and dress for God. And your boss will respect you more. People who got piercings all over their face, and they, they, they got uh, Rastafarian locks in their hair, and they got... Um, they got sandals and shorts, and they go in and says, "I want to work for you." And the boss says, "You know, I may need to hire you, but I don't want to because I like to have somebody who has a respect for the boss, respect for the office, and respect for himself." Amen. Now that's that's almost politically incorrect to say, but let me tell you this: how you dress reflects who you're trying to honor. Why did I get on that? I don't know why I say something. <laughs> I just... Mm, you know. What does the enemy want? The enemy wants you looking like the devil, talking like the devil, living like the devil. He wants you weak, independent. Notice how they talk about these feeble Jews, and they were feeble. Don't you think for a second these were mighty, awesome. There was was some some guy who caught like a 12-foot-long shark reeling it in, and they're showing off the shark. But everybody looking at it going, but look at the abs on the guy who caught the shark. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> they just, they're just look at that strong man. Here's, look. We, we, we forget just how weak and feeble we are. And we are. And the devil knows it. The issue is, are you going to stay that way? Because the devil would like to keep you weak and dependent upon a bottle. He'd like to keep you dependent upon your friends. He'd like you to keep you dependent upon all your viewers on YouTube or on Twitter or Instagram or Notagram or Billy Graham or. Anyway. Uh, the devil would like to keep you weak and dependent upon him instead of Jesus Christ. Amen. Wanted to keep their life in. They had, for 90 years, they had lived in ruin. They were used to waking up every day and walking around all the rubble everywhere. They had nothing but ruin that they lived in. You know, there are a lot of Christians that live that way to this day. From the time they get up to the time they go to bed at night, they go from heap after heap after heap, and they have no idea how to fix it. The devil wants to keep you there. The devil wants to keep you where you're in bondage to your past. Amen. He liked to continue to rob God's people of every bit of worth they ever have, just like gangland. When you have a gang, you know what they promise? Protection. I promise you protection if you kind of keep under my dominion. And, and what Sanballat had was he had all of these people under his thumb, and his whole goal was to rob them of everything. If they ever raised any crops, he got half of it, if not more. Their kids were being raised by Samaritan teachers and by by um, uh, uh, by the world around them. And let me just tell you, the devil wants to keep Christians robbed. I don't know what happened, but Brother Eric and I talk about it all the time. When I got saved, I got joy, and I haven't lost it. Now I have my ups and downs, but I wonder where's the joy in Christians? I know where it is. They've been robbed. Because what you got is priceless. What Jesus did for you ought to make you stand on that chair and go, Woohoo! Amen. And yet you're there going, oh, it ain't no good. Somebody robbed you. And these people were constantly being robbed, and Sen. said, Don't you upset the balance of power here. I'm in charge here. I wanted to bring great dishonor to God. <clears throat> you ever been embarrassed of a Christian? Usually it's yourself in the mirror, by the way. Think about, think about what the devil wants. He wanted this city that had been a shining light, that had been the city of God, that had been the song of God's people, Jerusalem. The gates and the walls were known as beautiful. It was up on a hill, it was a light in the midst of such a dark area, and now it was nothing but rubble, it was nothing but ruin, it was nothing but an embarrassment. And Sanballat said, let's keep it that way. And there are Christians, yes, you have fallen, you have messed up, you have believed a lie, you have been tricked, you have been crumbled. And the devil says, now stay down. Don't you dare stay down. You have no right to stay down. Because what the devil wants is to keep going. You see them? Ha, 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 God, that is your child. Ha, ha, ha. You're an embarrassment. Now, thankfully, God's never embarrassed of us. Hallelujah. But the devil sure does know how to mock and bring reproach to God and dishonor to God. That's what he wants. He wants you to mess up and see you defeated and watch you just run off and just die. That's his goal. And then to remain, and he wants to remain in power. Did you know devils are just like politicians? <laughs> they don't give up <laughs> their power. <clears throat> When they, when they work in your life, they, can't, they come to stay. Let me ask you this is that what you want? Jesus Christ didn't die on that cross to leave you that way. I got three amens. Let's talk about the weapons and the tactics of the enemy. Go to 2 Corinthians. We were in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Just a quick verse here 2 Corinthians 2 Holding your place in Nehemiah. 2 Corinthians 2 11. 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Now, that's a wrestling term. Now, I can't do it because I'd get hurt. But if I had somebody up here wrestling with me, unless it's Dan, then we both get hurt. But, <laughs> but when you're wrestling, you, there's, a, there's a, an equality of, of, of activity until somebody gets the advantage, and puts them off, off balance, and then takes them down. And the devil comes at you, and he's looking for that advantage in your life so that he can trip you and knock you down and hold you against the mat. So Paul says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, a boxer understands that, that he watches the films of his opponent. He studies while watching that opponent box somebody else, and he says he's got a week left. He's always protecting his side. He's, he's not good at his right hand undercut. And so he knows, I know the tactics of my enemy because I know what he'll use against me. And when you come to these, these chapters in the Bible, God is not just giving you bits of history. He's giving you what the devil uses to bring you down. And the first thing you'll find back there in Nehemiah is he uses bullying and ridicule. Read again chapter 4, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and he took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. Listen to how he mocks. <clears throat> he spake before all of his brethren. He's, he's, it's, it's just like a big schoolyard. All the kids are gathered listening to this bully as he mocks you. And he spake before his brethren and the army, the entire army of Samaria, and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they actually fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice again? Will they make an end in a day? Are they ever going to finish this thing? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? One thing I've noticed about the devil, he's a questioner. Are you really going to go through with this thing? Are you really going to stay with this promise? Are you really going to do right? The devil's a question. Are you really the son of God? That's how he approached Jesus. Did God really say not to touch? He's a questioner. Verse 3: Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, that little fox will even break down the entire stone wall. Now, whether you understand or not, but bullying and ridicule is not a weak tactic. No matter how strong people think they are, one criticism can often crumble most people. Many children grow up with their parents constantly ridiculing them: You are ugly. You're an accident. <laughs> Bullying. Satan is an accuser. He's a mocker, a scorner, a scoffer. He's a bully. Amen. And when he shows up in your life, that's how we feel. <laughs> and whatever he says, we tend to believe. And it paralyzes us. So your friends will say, You, you, you go to that cult. You're, 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 you, you, you actually have a Bible in your pack at school? Dean's, uh, deans one of those cultish... Uh, what are they doing? They're bullying you. Did you know it's okay to bully a Christian? It's not okay to bully anybody else these days. You know, when Eric and I were kids, it was okay to bully anybody, just as long as you did it equally. <laughs> bullying. And you may not realize it, but the devil bullies you Constantly, I'm talking about this, constantly bringing up stuff in your past, constantly demeaning you. Stuff going through your head, you'd be embarrassed if it got out. Amen? Second thing they do is they outnumber. Look back there in chapter 2, verse 9. This is funny. Nehemiah 2, 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river. This is Nehemiah. He's showing up there in Jerusalem, and he gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah his servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them. So we only have two there who are actually noticing Nehemiah show up. Go down to verse 19 now. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and, oh, here's a new guy. Geshem the Arabian heard of it. So they went and they got a third guy. Going back to chapter 4, verse 1 came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built of the wall, he was wroth, he took great indignation, mocked the Jews, and he spake before his brethren. He's got his family there, and he's got an army of Samaria. Look down to verse 7. It came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah, oh, now we got more, Arabians and Ammonites, the Ashdodites. Are heard. What is going on? They're trying to outnumber them. I have been in discussions where I start giving the gospel to somebody and voom. Three people are at the door. Then five. Uh, Now, I don't mind that, but most people, it quickly overwhelms you, and you go, "Ah, I got to go. My mom's calling. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when you're the only Bible-believing Christian at school or at work, trying to give out a gospel track, and everybody's out there threatening to fire you, you learn to choose sides, whether you're going to shut up or you're going to keep standing. Amen? Bullying? Outnumbering? There's nobody. You can't do that. There's 400 of us against you. Other time, he'll focus on all the wrong things. Now this is, this is very important because this is what got me thinking about this whole portion because this is where we live. <clears throat> Remember, they're, they're sitting on the piles of stones of failure. And they were failures. Their parents were failures. Their grandparents were failures. Do you understand? They had, this, this was not an attack of the devil, this was an open door to the devil. When they sinned against God, and they turned their back on God generations before, and they started themselves to, to worship idols, and started themselves to live just for self, and live for sex, and live for, for money, and they lived without God, Nebuchadnezzar came in there and destroyed everything. And it was of God. And there they are living in failure. You know what the devil does? He reminds you of it. That is a tactic of the devil. You know, when when the children of Israel... I wish I had more room here. When the children of Israel gathered on one hillside and the the Philistines were gathered on the other side, there was a valley in between... There was was an equal number. They were not, not actually told how many people there, but it was one for one. They probably could have easily just gone in and wiped out the Philistines. But down came this big giant named Goliath. And Goliath got down and he says, Everybody, focus on me. And he's up there and he's terrifying that entire army. They should have just said, Let's get him. But instead, this one giant in the middle of the valley crying out, Send me out a man! And they all went, uh, uh. They're focusing on one guy instead of on the victory. And the devil will get you to focus on your past and on your failures. Let me tell you, don't you dare go there. You know, God doesn't. God does not live in your past. God does not constantly, Here! <laughs> Dig up all the manure of your past and dump it in your lap and go, now deal with it. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? These people had lived in ruin and failure for the past 160 years, and the devil loves reminding God's people of their failures. God doesn't. All those constant memories of your past sins and your failures did not come from God. Amen they are to be learned from and then they are to be put under the blood amen folks on the wrong things like your past failures like all the rubbish everywhere now listen the rubbish did need to be removed couldn't you can't ignore piles of stone and masonry that needed to be worked that needed to be cleared away but if you just focus on all the things that you have to do will never get you out of the bondage of do There are two kinds of do in that, but I'm not going to describe the second one. Nobody got that. Oh, that was a good joke. That was great. Focus it. Hey, come on. Focus on all your attention. All the ruin and the rubbish of your life will not get you free. Like, focus on all the bad decisions you've made. Focus on all the drinking and drugging that you struggle with. Focus on all the debt that you're in. Focus on all the pornography that you're addicted to. Focus on all the depression you're struggling with. Focus on all the anger that you're struggling with. Let me tell you, when you focus on that, you know what? You're just more and more in bondage. Amen. That's the work of the devil. You know, you know how you need to see yourself? As a new creature. As free. You need to see yourself as somebody that is not living anymore in the flesh. You're living in the spirit. You're walking in the spirit and the flesh is dying. You see, if you, I I, um, I, I want to talk about this, but I have to go on. But living in the kingdom of God is better than living in the kingdom of this world. Amen. And I choose to live in the kingdom of God, which is invisible, than living here. I don't mean I want to go that I'm going to heaven right now, but I'm living as a child of the king, I'm living as a born-again child of God. I'm living as somebody who has who has life, who's been given life, who's been given not only a second chance, but a third chance, a fourth chance, fifth chance. I don't live in my failures, but boy, does the devil want me to. How about the weaknesses of, of the people? See, the people were weak. These were not soldiers. These people were prepared for battle. They were family men. They were mothers and dads and sons and daughters. And the devil will spend his time trying to get you to only believe in your weakness. I, I can't do that. I can't teach. I can't preach. I can't. Listen, I loved Brother, um, uh, Brother Sloan. I mean, what was that symbol he was using? But he had when he was asked to speak, everybody knows that one sign language, amen. None of us are able, so the devil would love to remind you, You're not able to do such and such, it's a wrong focus. When did anyone's strength ever deliver them from the devil? Didn't do it in David's day, you know what David trusted in. Oh, a stone. Yeah, you think of the stone like a four-ton <laughs> throwing a car. At, at, no, it was a small stone in a sling slung by faith, and God brought him down. When was the last time you never find in the Bible somebody with strength? You have one guy acting like it. His name was Samson, but it wasn't his strength. He said, look at this jawbone. Ha, <laughs> ha. That's a pretty cool thing. It was with the jawbone that God gave him the victory. Not his own strength, by the way. So next time the devil reminds you about how weak you are, remind him. One day he will be pitiful. How fragile all our accomplishments really are. You know, when Tobias says, look at that wall. It's it's barely holding up. If a fox butted up against it, it would fall over, which was probably right. You know, our best efforts will never be sufficient. You know how many times I've come away from a message on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and I come and I go, what a cow. What a waste. And I look at my wife and I say, don't say it. <laughs> or I'll come back after going soul winning and the spiritual battle and not getting anywhere with anybody and I feel like a failure. I feel like so weak. I feel like my, my attempts didn't get anywhere. Let me tell you, the devil's there. You know what God is doing? He was faithful. Amen. Your accomplishments will always, always be miracles, not self-built. Amen, amen. So if somebody points out and says, that church is so fragile, those Christians are so, yeah, all we need is a little bit of pressure and half of them will disappear. That maybe is true. That maybe is true. But let me tell you this, I'm going to build anyway. Amen. And all the work, this is how we feel. (laughs) All the work that's left to do. You know, all the people had a great start. They had such, but they had such a long way to go. Hundreds and thousands of tons of rock and stone and rubble had to be moved. Walls repaired. This is where most Christians quit. When they see all the Bible they have to read. They go, can't I just read the New Testament? (laughs) And they go, (gasps) huh? When they think about all the soul winning they need to be involved in. When they think of all the work they need to do on their mouth and their tongue and their way of talking. When they think of all the work that needs to be done on their schedule and their habits and their priorities and their laziness. When they get focused on all the words of humiliating apologies and sorrows that they need to express. That's when people quit. They go, I can't do it. (laughs) Too much work. Amen? You know, when an athlete sees the opposition mounting and getting ready on the line, you know, an athlete decides, let's go get him. <laughs> let's do that too. When the opposition surrounds and gets us to see just how far it is to the goal, you look at your teammates, the other Christians, you say, let's get it done. Amen. Don't let how big the task is, don't how, let how hard it may be say anything to you, because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's always by God's Spirit, saith the Lord, God will get us through. <clears throat> now I'm just going to say the last two things here real quick before we finish up here the other two things that the devil uses is terror remember there's an army surrounding them now and if there's anything the devil devil doesn't even have to fight to, to win over your life you know what he uses? it's a four letter word what does the devil use to defeat most Christians? F-E-A-R fear so terror that's why they call these guys terrorists because they strike fear in in entire nations. And he uses one other thing, and that is he will try to get the leadership to compromise. We'll have to deal with that in chapter 6, but when nothing else was working, Sanballat and Tobiah in chapter 6, they go for the head. And you know what most churches have done today, Brother Dan? They have demoted Jesus from a holy God to a buddy to somebody who understands homosexuality, and somebody who just loves us as we are. No, he takes you as you are, but he makes you like him. But they try to get the leadership to compromise and to come down and to just be like one of the boys and to get along with everybody. Why? To stop the work. And when a church is more worried about your feelings than about his honor, it's the wrong kind of church. response of the Christian. Real quick, number one, you allow God to use opposition to change you and forge you and make you a better man or woman. It's called yielding. When uh, Sanballat and Tobiah were threatening and preparing for battle, God was not asleep. And when your car breaks down, and when your family is sick, And when your job, you're fired, and when your mother-in-law kicks you out, (laughs) and everything goes wrong, don't go, God, did you quit? What happened? Let that time of absolute disaster be a time where you learn to trust God, because you don't trust Him until you need to. Let it forge you. Most Christians look like pacifists. You know why? Why? Because when trouble comes, I'm talking about strong Christians. Because when trouble comes, they don't fight the person who's attacking them. They let them strike them on the cheek, don't they? Why? Because they're about to go into battle in their closet saying, Now, Lord, get them. (laughs) Amen. Allow God to use the opposition in your life, the persecution in your life, the trouble in your life, the temptations in your life to make you a better man. Secondly, encourage one another. I want you to go to chapter 2 and verse 18. Because one of the hallmarks of Nehemiah as a great leader was he encouraged the people. He didn't browbeat them. When he showed up, he could have just said, this is your fault. (laughs) He could have done that, couldn't he? No. You know what he did? He said, let's get building. He encouraged them. Chapter 2 and verse, what did I say? 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was... Good upon me. I'm going to tell you about the blessings of God. I almost got up while we were singing "Count too Many Blessings." I wanted to stop, John. I wanted to say, "Okay, stop the song. Somebody tell me a blessing," because on a heartbeat you should be able to say, "God is good," and this is why. That encourages one another. That that lifts each other. But if you if you only want to talk about how disastrous your week was, <laughs> I tell you it's not going to encourage anybody. So he says. Um, Uh, I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Also the king's words that were good, that he had spoken unto me. And they said, hey, yes, let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. See that word good, good. They're encouraging one another. Do you know, it's more important to have moral, morale, than weapons. Amen. How many times have you heard of battles where the morale of the smaller army won the victory over all the best weapons let me tell you in our church you better be very careful about pulling each other down and about demeaning you know pastor went 15 minutes over today what else is there's nothing new about that don't don't do it folks encourage one another Ladies, encourage your husbands. I know you have every reason and right to point out every one of his errors, but rally them. Gentlemen, rally your wife, encourage your wife, believe in her, help her grow, and help her to succeed. Listen, a good word, a kind word, an encouraging word, is a stab in the devil's gut. Proverbs 12.25 says, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Proverbs 12.18, there was there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Somebody says some. But the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Ephesians four twenty nine says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let it never get out of your mouth. But only that which is good to the use of edifying encouraging that it may minister grace to the hearers encourage one another that's how you respond that's when the devil attacks you need doing you need to rally encourage one another you need to allow listen this is coming if opposition and prosecution ever comes into your life realize that's what God wants in your life right now I don't like it then just start being a blessing one another encourage one another because the fight will probably get Thicker before it's over, third, believe God instead of the enemy. That's all Nehemiah kept doing. He's saying, God is with us, God is God brought us here. Let's do it. This is this is for God, this is by God. Let's do it and believe God because we sing it. Faith is the victory. Fourthly, choose a clear side. He says, There in chapter 2, verse 20, then answered I them, talking about Sembala and Tobiah, and I said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. I'm trusting him. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But guess what? You have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. He says, I've chosen my side. And you know, if you really want to hurt the devil, choose a side. Don't try to run the, the, the fence. Don't on Sunday be here, and then on Monday be in the devil's crowd. Amen. Because the devil doesn't care that you come to church. He just doesn't want you to live the church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Amen. Choose a side. Jesus hates fence sitters. As a matter of fact, a fence sitter, he's the most stupid person on the planet. Can you imagine, if I'm sitting on a fence, what would it take to knock me off the fence? A small little nudge. But you put me on the ground on my side, and there's a wall between me and the devil's attack, he'll have to get over the wall and get me to crumble, but I'm standing, folks. I've made my decision. I'm with God's people. On Sunday, I'm in church. There are times that I set out and I keep because I don't want to ride the fence. I made a decision a long time ago. I am against sin. Whether it's homosexual or pornography or lying or cheating or laziness. And if it's in my life, I've chosen the side. I must get it out because I've chosen my side. Amen. You know what that does to the devil? It hurts him. Rebuke the enemy. Now, this is stuff that we don't normally do very often, but we spend more time rebuking each other and rebuke people who hurt us. And so everybody has a victim complex. Everyone is offended and everyone is hurt. And you find everyone blasting everyone else for everything that is wrong. How about rebuking the devil for once? How about just saying, devil, you're not going to get in this marriage. You're not going to get into this discussion. You're not going to win today. Amen. You know, at Jude chapter 1 verse 9, it says not even Michael the archangel wrestled with Satan. You know what he did? He said, the Lord's going to rebuke you, buddy. Oh, fighting over the body of Moses. There's, there, there is a power in, in... Now, the devil's not afraid of you, but he needs to know that you're standing up to him. Amen. Rebuke the enemy. And that's what, over and over, you find Nehemiah doing that. Um... Build anyway. I love that. Chapter 3, you find Eliashib starting to build. And in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, <clears throat> uh, So we built the wall. One of the greatest responses to any critic is just go ahead anyway. and Build what God has told you to build. You know, on Sunday morning, I hear it all the time. Uh, somebody says, oh, we had a fight on our way to church today. Amen. But you got to church. You came anyway. Amen. I I know that happens. I somebody said, "Oh man, I just I woke up and I just wanted I just wanted to turn over and die," but I'm here. Amen. Just just do right anyway, because that hurts the devil. That's what Job did. Job was not going to curse God. He wasn't going to quit. He was going even in the ash heap. He said, "Blessed be His name." Build anyway. Pray through every complaint. The more that Sinballat and Tobiah attacked, you know, you find Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, Tobiah, he's mocking him, saying, a fox will knock over the entire wall. Verse 4, you know what Nehemiah did? Hear, O our God. You know what he's doing? He's calling in air support. We call it prayer support. Instead of him saying, you're a bully, Sinballat, I hate you. (laughs) That's flesh and flesh. You know what He says, I'm going to call in help. Just like a soldier in the middle of a battlefield, can't get any further, he calls up headquarters and he says, Command, we need air support. We need some serious firepower coming over our heads and knocking out the enemy. And that's what prayer does. Nehemiah was a praying man. More than he was an action man, he was a praying man. And lastly, set a watch. In verse 9 it says this, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and we set a watch against them day and night because of them. Too many Christians are totally ignorant of the devices. We'd call it the devisings or the schemes and the plans of the devil. They're ignorant of it. They just go, Why is it that nothing is working in my family? <laughs> Why is it that I can't get a job? Why is it this going wrong? They're unaware, they're not watchful. Paul calls it being circumspect. Jesus took his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane he says, Guys, watch and pray. What are they watching? Watching how the devil is about to attack. Where are they going to attack? Putting them to sleep and then causing Jesus to struggle against oppression and demonic attack. And they were unaware of it, they didn't even see it. You know what church is? Church is me trying to rally you to open your eyes to the demonic work going on and for you to say, I got to stand. You know, when the pastor starts saying, I don't know how many of you watched Eurovision, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm embarrassed of Ireland. Amen. You ought to be embarrassed of what they try to put on. I just, <clears throat> I just am sick. It's the worship of the flesh. And when it, when it comes to, you know what, you, you need to have a pastor who warn you about letting your kids stay up and watch that filth. Amen. Oh, it's just innocent stuff. Yeah, it was back 20 years ago. It's not that way now. It's all political. It's to get two guys dancing around each other like their boyfriends and they were. It's to get everybody all used to just the new wave, the new progression, the new liberality. Let me tell you this, you need somebody up here who's blowing the horn saying, it's time to shut off the TV. It's time not to let that, unless you want your kids, always constantly question, but is that okay? Is that okay? Don't you be upset at me. Because I am a watchman. And if I try to warn you, try to Announce that there is a danger coming and it is rolling full steam ahead. That's what we do. We set a watch. You know, I don't think pastors, I think we just need to have church. We just need to have fellow, no, you need a watchman who warn you. Amen, amen, amen. Next week I'm going to talk about arming the saints. What are the weapons you've got? We have the response. But are you armed? Now no one lives free from the opposition or trials. We're going to face it every day. We build our homes and our lives in the midst of an enemy, and this enemy is really good at attacking. So expect opposition. Quit being surprised when whack it comes. I'm just as surprised as you are, but I got to stop being surprised, okay? <laughs> Do you even know what the enemy wants? He wants you to keep you in ruin. He wants to keep you fighting. He wants to keep you at the same zero you're at. Do we know the weapons and the tactics of the enemy? You should. There's a right response to opposition and persecution. I gave them all to you, but what's it going to be? Four things. Number one, you're going to claim ignorance. Well, I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> just claim ignorance. Are you going to just roll over and give up? You know, if, 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 if your husband says, we're not going to church anymore, are you are going to say, okay? Or are you going to say, oh, I better get wise? i got to help him see how important this is to my sanity and to our family. i got to keep him coming to church. If your kids say, I don't want to go to church anymore, you're going to have to pray and say, I'm not going to roll over. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to become wise, careful, loving, but firm. We're going. Amen. You're going to roll over and give up. You're going to lose everything God is trying to work into you. Or are you going to decide to start standing and wrestling and staying in the fight for Christ, and for souls, and for the kingdom of God? What's it going to be? Father, we finish now. But we're not finished. Because as we pray and as we bow, we know the devil is circling, trying to sneak in. He's planning time bombs. He's trying his way into lives and thoughts and hearts. And futures. Right now, Lord, we have a brief moment of, of respite, of peace. where we can, we can come before you and say, Lord, I've been focused on the wrong thing. I've been listening to a voice that's focused on my past, it's focused on my failures, that's focused on me instead of on you. And if I, like those Jews, if I were, they kept their eyes on Nehemiah and it encouraged them and it rallied them and they got the job done. Lord, if I could just keep my eyes on Jesus. If I would not let the devil distract me onto the giants that are attacking, or on the armies, on the demonic oppression, on the thoughts, on the memories. If I would just have the right focus, I could hurt the devil. I could actually finish something spiritual, something for the kingdom of God. Lord, it took me at 17 years old finally ignoring my worry about what other people would think if I walked forward and took the pastor's hand and said, I want to be saved. I didn't do it on the night. I was arguing the entire time. But in the end, I realized I I had been the most stupid person ever to live. And I ran and I got a friend and I said, we need to talk. I need to get saved. I'm tired of worrying about what people are going to think of me. I'm tired of worrying about what anybody else will do. I wouldn't go to hell for anybody. So, Dear friend out here listening, Lord, I pray you prick hearts and if somebody's not saved, give them the courage to come up to the front and take my hand and say, I'm ready to get saved. I'm not going to save them. I'm not going to do anything except pray with them and turn them over to you, Lord. Will you please save somebody today? Lord, would you help every Christian to realize, no wonder it's been hard. No wonder I'm, I'm living in constant defeat. It's because I've been listening to Sanballat and Tobiah. I have my eyes on all of their voices. I've let them rule my life too long. I'd rather let my Nehemiah, let my Jesus, take over. I'd rather start building, and repairing. I'd rather do it right than, than wrong. Help us this morning. Take all this in and process it and live it in Jesus' name. Amen.